0: Welcome to our sixth remote podcast as we adapt to life in a pandemic. This morning, we continue in our Heart of the Kingdom message series, which links Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with the heart of the one who preached it. God is Lord of all creation, but more narrowly, the kingdom is his spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to his authority. In the first sections of this sermon, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus revealed the character of a kingdom person in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those poor and hungry and thirsty for righteousness, holding space for God to fill. These are the ones with kingdom influence, salt and light, flavoring and illuminating a dark, tasteless world. And in a series of sayings, You have heard it said, but I say to you, by his own authority, Jesus set out a new standard for conduct from a pure heart. He called for a righteous life with God as the audience, the focus of our giving, fasting, and prayer. Jesus' followers are called to store treasure in heaven by serving God with singleness of heart, without worrying about temporal needs. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter seven, Jesus presents a sequence of teachings that bear directly on relationships. Now, these are not random sayings. Each contributes to an understanding of building and maintaining authentic relationships. And after more than a month now of being sheltered in place, Jesus's words could not be more timely or constructive. (laughs) The shutdown Flattening the curve of infection and death from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is straining relationships. As I've checked in with folks through calls and video conferences since early March, I've found that the stress is taking a toll on each of us in some way. Single folks struggle with loneliness or difficult roommates um, with, with much of their social life diminished. Married couples spending much of the day together often continuing their jobs, and some with children at home struggle to find a moment for themselves. Emotions get frayed and conversations get edgy. Groundhog Day, it gets old fast. My heart goes out especially to single parents with children at home working remotely and caring for children without help. Not to mention the impact of canceled graduation and wedding ceremonies and... No baseball. <laughs> and in addition to this, some economists predict that the unemployment rate will hit close to 20% as soon as this month. Adding to our frustration is that while we know how this will end, ubiquitous testing, tracking people, herd immunity, we don't know when it will end. And as Nils Bohr, the Nobel laureate and father of quantum physics stated, Making predictions is very difficult especially when it concerns the future. <clears throat> Thank you Nils. Now in Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 12 we'll see how Jesus reveals uh, the building and maintaining of healthy relationships. And first of all, we see acceptance. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 it begins, "Do not judge or you too" Will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And in His warning about judgmentalism, our habit of finding fault with others, Jesus puts his finger on the core component of healthy relationships and that's acceptance. Acceptance is the opposite of judgment. Acceptance focuses on the person. And judgment focuses on behavior. Acceptance is unconditional positive regard for another person, while judging others is a form of contempt. In Romans chapter 14, verse 10, Paul says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Those who judge others usurp God's place and become answerable to him. And if we enjoy occupying the bench, we mustn't be surprised to find ourselves in the dock. Uh, We create the measure God will use to evaluate us. Rabbis in Jesus's day believed that God had two measures, mercy and justice. And to the extent that we are merciful, we will receive mercy. But if we're judgmental, we'll receive exactly what we deserve. And it's in response to God's overwhelming mercy that we renounce the habit of harshly judging others. And just as we forgive because we have been forgiven through Christ's sacrifice, we accept others because now God unconditionally accepts us. This is not a, a prohibition against using our critical faculties. The Sermon on the Mount is predicated on our ability to discern God's truth from the world's lies. And discernment comes through applying Jesus's teaching. And so it's not us who judge, uh, but it's the Lord. The condition of being pure in spirit, merciful and meek, it guards a person from the sin of judging others. Acceptance reflects a pure heart that sees God and sees others. Acceptance is accepting others for who they are, not who we are. And in a healthy relationship, each person is able to present who they are and be accepted as they are. And when you accept people for who they are, you let go of your desire to change them and realize that the only person we can truly change is ourself. And the Pharisees acquitted each other and judged everyone else, and they were wrong in both verdicts. Jesus' followers live a righteousness that surpasses that, that surpasses theirs, by accepting even those who are nothing like us. Last weekend, I watched a movie uh, called Three Three Identical Strangers. It's the story of triplets born in New York City in 1961, separated from each other at birth and placed in a long-term psychological study. Now, researchers conspired uh, with a well-known adoption agency to place each in a home that was economically different. Uh, one was more lower class, one more middle in terms of income, and then more upper class. And the question they sought to answer was whether, a person, uh, whether what a person becomes is due more to nature or nurture. And these triplets found each other in 1980, uh, at the age of 19, and they were ecstatic. It was like finding a carbon copy of yourself. They were, like, they were identical in appearance, identical in mannerisms, and they became a sensation, going on talk shows, relishing a familial bond they never knew existed. Now, eventually, they opened a restaurant together in Manhattan, and things went well uh, for a while. But then things began to fall apart. Each thought the other two was just like them, motivated by the same things, made decisions the same way, and reacted to stress in a similar way. They didn't realize it at the time. But growing up in different households, with different parents, with different parenting styles, made them very different people. And as a result, they didn't accept each other. I mean, they were supposed to all be the same. So they judged each other based upon who they were individually, and they didn't see the other two. When Bobby couldn't take the conflict uh, any longer um, that was going on between them, he left the restaurant business that they had, which led to one of the other brothers, Eddie, uh, committed suicide. Eddie's father was a very strict disciplinarian who loved his son, but he didn't understand him. He didn't accept him. It was just always about rules, Uh, but not being accepted by his identical brothers was too much for Eddie. And The remaining brothers, Bobby and David, were estranged from each other uh, until they were brought together by the documentary on their lives some 20 years later. Bobby, Eddie, and David were identical in appearance and expected each other to be exactly like they were. And while I'm pretty sure none of us have identical siblings out there somewhere, uh, we tend to do the same thing. We project ourselves on others and become critical based upon who we are and fail to receive who they are. Healthy, authentic relationships requires requires acceptance, and acceptance requires self-awareness. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Jesus uses a humorous hyperbole here. The speck of sawdust could be a speck of some foreign matter that gets into the eye. The plank, a much larger piece of foreign matter. Um, but whether it was a speck or a plank, I mean, no one could stand this uh, for very long, either one. But Jesus isn't really focusing on the contaminant. He's focusing on the eye. He's focusing on our ability to see ourselves. Uh, in the last chapter, Matthew 6, 22, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, while it's not wrong to help remove sawdust from someone's eye, it's impossible when we're unaware of a plank that is hanging out of our own. We're hypocritical when we fail to evaluate ourselves before evaluating others. In Romans 14, 12, Paul says, So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God, and therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. We become stumbling blocks when we try to fix someone uh, while poking them with our sin, oblivious to our own sin. Drawing out the image, I mean, we really can't get close enough because of this thing poking out of our eye. Uh, With unhealthy eyes, we see only how others must change, but not ourselves. Our struggle with self-awareness is rooted in a fragile identity, If we don't feel secure in ourselves, if we haven't experienced unconditional love, we hesitate to evaluate others because it's just too painful. Uh, We hesitate to evaluate ourselves, rather, because it's just too painful. We don't accept others because we don't accept ourselves. And self-evaluation might reveal we're not the person we present to others, and so we attempt to change others to reflect back what we want to see. A conflict is created as we seek to conform others to our brokenness instead of identifying what must be changed in us and presenting that. A secure identity begins with the reality that we're a beloved child of God. God loves us. God accepts us. We explore the dark reaches of our souls while holding on to Jesus' hand and never letting go. It's like the hymn we sing, I am who I say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. You are for me, not against me. I am a child of God. And who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. To be secure in Jesus' love and be honest about our personal struggles and weaknesses, that's what we've been freed to. A healthy identity doesn't begin with who we think we are or even the person we want to be. It begins by securing ourselves in Christ's unconditional love. Next, healthy, authentic relationships uh, requires discernment. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, we shouldn't think of cute little pigs and sweet pupper dogs. As we read this passage, the pigs were not only unclean animals, at least in the sense of the Jewish law, but they were also wild and sometimes vicious. Think about wild boars. These dogs, these are not household pets, these were scavengers of rubbish dumps in cities. The implication of the image Jesus uses is pigs trampling pearls underfoot. Um, Perhaps disappointed that they are not morsels of food, and dogs so disgusted with what is sacred that they turn on the giver. And while some believe Jesus was referring to food that had been sacrificed in temple ceremonies, um, that he's saying, now don't offer that uh, to the pigs and the dogs, Um, but what is sacred. Uh, And the best way to, to understand what is sacred in this context is that it refers to the good news of the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus likened the kingdom to a merchant looking for fine pearls, then sold everything he had to buy it, underscoring its value. And Jesus is talking about discernment between those ready to hear and receive the precious pearls, the good news, and those who decisively reject it. In Luke 10, uh, there's a description of Jesus appointing and sending 72 followers, two by two, to towns that he uh, would soon visit. He warned them that some people would not be receptive to his message. He instructed them to shake off the dust of that town from your feet as you leave. In other words, don't waste your breath there. Uh, They don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so take the message to the next town. To the next person. Discernment is required, not for judging the kingdom's worth, but whether a person has been prepared to receive it. And anyone who has given clear evidence of rejecting the gospel with vicious scorn and hardened contempt is not yet ready to hear. Now, sometimes we have a message to share that is sacred to us, it might be sharing the truth about Jesus, about the gospel, or something God has placed on our heart, we feel we must share with someone dear to us. Discernment allows us to see whether the person is able to receive what we have to say in the way it's intended. Discernment is a function of the Holy Spirit. Before approaching a person with the good news or the bad news, We check in with the Spirit for guidance. The Spirit might lead us to spill it or to wait. But these are leadings of the Holy Spirit. And in order to be led by the Spirit, we must be in step with the Spirit, which is essentially making room for the Spirit. The poor in spirit, the humble in heart, they leave room for the Spirit to fill. And the spiritual disciplines Jesus mentioned earlier in his sermon secrecy and giving and fasting and prayer. Uh, It gives us eyes to see and ears to hear the Spirit's voice. Healthy relationships require um, good communication, and good communication is always receiver-oriented. And this is another focus of discernment. That is, we should seek to discern how to communicate in such a way that the person receives what we intend to communicate. Now in April, as viral fevers surge through American hospitals and cabin fever grows in American homes, the shelter-in-place decree has us in close quarters, which may amplify our reaction to something someone in our household has done or said. And If we impulsively launch into a stinging rebuke, we may communicate a message we don't wish to send. Since love and acceptance are foundational to healthy relationships, our communication must be precise to be effective. Otherwise, the person may feel rejected by us or shamed uh, in our efforts to help. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Gentleness results from self-awareness as we remember that we are capable of stumbling and falling as well, and sometimes do. We express love by discerning the best approach to share what we must. And then finally, supporting the features of healthy relationships, acceptance, self-awareness, and discernment, there must be humility. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and following says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, Finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up law and the prophets now in underscoring the need for humility in prayer jesus's focus moves to what's necessary for a healthy relationship with god Uh, ask seek and knock reflect a posture of humility necessary to receive answers and open doors And Jesus says this is a safe thing to do because of God's character, his faithfulness. He likens the father to a good parent. No good parent would deceive a child asking for bread or fish by giving an inedible stone or a dangerous snake. The point at issue is not merely the parent's willingness to give, but their willingness to give good gifts, even though they are selfish at times. How much more will a perfect, loving God give good gifts to his children? Now, God need not be cajoled to give his gifts. He's not a malicious tyrant or an indulgent grandfather. But being good, God always gives good gifts to his children. And being wise, God knows which gifts are good and which are not. And Jesus addressed God, Abba Father, a term of endearment. And he encouraged his disciples to do the same. Now it's safe to say uh, each of us have at one time or another prayed an unselfish prayer according to what we believe is God's will, a prayer for healing, um, uh, for a person's salvation, for God's intervention in a serious situation, only for it to go unanswered, or at least not answered in the way we hoped. Confused and deeply disappointed, we may subtly doubt the character of God, After all, we did it right, we asked, we sought, we knocked for the right things, and so why didn't God respond? Well, the fact is, uh, the Bible has many examples of unanswered prayer. Paul prayed three times uh, that his thorn in the flesh, apparently some physical affliction that affected his work, should be removed. But the answer he received was simply, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed earnestly, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. These examples remind us that just as we have limited wisdom about people, We're not privy to all of God's wisdom or ways either. We can imagine Job suffering one devastating loss after another, wondering whether he knew God at all. But from Job's story, we learn that God doesn't work on a retributive system. In other words, even if we do everything right, it doesn't guarantee the answer we seek. And after Job, a righteous person suffered setback after setback Wondering what in the world God was doing to him, he cried out, though he slay me, yet I will trust him, and I will maintain my ways before him. Ultimately, Job clung to the character of God, which is exactly Jesus' point. Whether we receive what we request or do not, we humbly receive while trusting in the character of God. Humility Uh, provides the foundation for our relationship with God and also for acceptance and self-awareness and discernment in our relationships with God and with others. And then finally in verse 12, Jesus shares what has come to be referred to as the golden rule, and this sums up everything that has gone before. And this concludes Jesus' teaching on righteousness surpassing the Pharisees, begun in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Do to others what you would have them do to you. Uh, Very simple. It's a summation of the teachings of the law and the prophets, which Jesus builds on and finishes in his teaching. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It summarizes kingdom relationships based upon God's truth and love. We accept others for who they are because we want to be accepted for who we are. We assume positive intent from others because we want others to assume that our intentions are positive. Teaching others as we wish to be treated uh, requires acceptance, self-evaluation, discernment, and humility. And so, if we're looking for one all-purpose maxim, to guide our relationships, here it is. Now we're entering a crucial moment in our national fight against the coronavirus. Tension is mounting as some call to reopen the country to restart the economy while testing and tracing of those infected is still insufficient to monitor a new outbreak of the virus. Well, everyone wants the same thing We all want to return to some semblance of normal life, go to a restaurant, take in a concert or sporting event, visit parents or grandparents, or be visited by our kids, or be able to go to school or to the office. But like so much of life now, this issue is polarizing people. The choice seems to be between protecting people's health or the health of the economy. Everyone wants both. But if a choice is made, which will we choose? From his entire life and ministry, Jesus reveals what was most important to him. Jesus humbled himself by taking on human flesh to save people. His most familiar teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, was about how people should behave so that there is shalom, there's wholeness and peace in relationships, reflecting the kingdom of God. He summed up the Old Testament law and preachings of the prophets in one succinct saying, Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. May we be those who value each and every soul on this earth. May we be willing to sacrifice for others just as we wish them to make sacrifices for us. The days to come will be difficult, but may we always... Always choose life.